You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount for the past couple of months, and we're quickly coming to the end of Jesus' sermon. Last week, we uh, looked at the familiar passage in Matthew seven twelve, the the golden rule. Um, we talked about if you trust your Heavenly Father to meet all of your needs in good ways, then you can obediently live out the golden rule of doing the good to others that you desire to be done to you, whether you receive that same treatment or not. And so last week, if you were with us, we talked about the familiarity of this passage, that lost people are very mindful of the golden rule, right? Um, you could go overseas even and, and probably meet people in the Czech Republic that would be familiar with this concept of doing to others what you desire for them to be done to you. Um, and, and we talked about how, if you're not careful, that's reduced to a, a fortune cookie slogan, that it's so familiar, it doesn't demand a spiritual foundation to resonate with that idea that we should do to others what we want them to do to us. And we said what elevates it to a scriptural concept are the two aspects of that verse that we oftentimes forget. So we did that little drill last week where I asked you what the golden rule was, and everybody kind of got the the, the middle part, do to others what you wish to be done to you. But what we had left out was that word so at the very beginning. Um, and that tied us back to the previous sermon that we can trust God to give us all the good that we need, right? And if we're trusting God to give us the good that we need, we can then do to others what we desire to be done to us, whether they do it back to us or not, right? The, the worldly concept would be treat others how you want to be treated with the goal of them treating you that way. Right? And we said instead, for the Christian, the goal is that we are fulfilling the law and the prophets. We are treating others the way that God would desire for us to treat them. Right? We're living out what the minor prophets talked so clearly to the Israelite people about, that we're to, to love justice and mercy and grace and to show kindness and respect to other image bearers. Um, so we talked about treating others the way that you wish to be treated. I challenged you to think through how you want to be treated, that we don't want to just be reactive We want to be proactive in treating other people this way. So I told you last week, I desire to be uh, respected, uh, appreciated, and valued by others. I I, I want to be given the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, the choices and decisions that I make. I want to be addressed personally when somebody has an issue with me rather than being gossiped or slandered about, right? Those are some things that I begin to list out, ways that I want to be treated. Doesn't guarantee that I'll be treated that way, But by making that list, it gives me an idea of how I should be treating other people, right? And so I challenged you last week to make a list of ways that that you desire to be treated and then to turn around and to treat others in that manner and to do so unconditionally. Whether they ever treat you that way or not, you're to live out those, uh, that treatment towards others because God has given us that command through the law and through the prophets and we can keep doing it We can keep carrying on and enduring in that type of lifestyle, whether we ever experience that same treatment or not, because we trust God for his good source, uh, to be the good source for us, right? And so that brings us to verses 12 or verses 13 and 14 today. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Our summary sentence for today, Jesus calls us to a path 
that is both exclusive and difficult, meaning there is only one way to find it, and most don't. And once you find it, there are many hard decisions that flow from it. But the path leads to life both now and forever. So Jesus calls us to a path, this, this narrow path, this narrow gate, and few find it, right? It's exclusive. It's difficult. Jesus says it's exclusive. Few find it. Uh, and, and talks about the difficulty of it, which is why few even want to find it, right? This wider gate that leads to destruction is described as easy. The gate that's narrow leads to a, a hard way, but it's a hard way that leads to life. Those who find it are few. For our kids, Jesus is the only way to be saved, and living for him is hard, but good. It's hard, but good. As Jesus begins to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, he turns his attention now towards those who are hearing and kind of moves into the application section of his sermon. What are you going to do with what you've heard? What choice are you going to make? Right? Life is filled with choices and decisions, these forks in the road, and you kind of get that picture here with the, the discussion of paths, right? This narrow gate, this wide gate, this path that leads to life, this path that leads to destruction. It's almost as though Jesus is bringing us to a fork in the road in his sermon. And we, we've all experienced those life decisions uh, that were forks in our life road, right? Choices that we made that have impacted our life now and, and perhaps even impacted our life for eternity. I was studying and, and wrapping up things this morning with my notes and began to kind of reflect on some of those fork in the road moments for me in my life. Right when I when I was set to graduate high school, really began to to pray and think think through where was I going to go to college, right? What was the next step for me? And I, I came from a Christian school where um, the teachers and the administrators really pushed for you to go to really one of two schools. It was either Bob Jones University or Pensacola, and maybe if they were feeling good, Bryan College would be introduced there in Tennessee. These these really ultra conservative Christian schools that were good schools, great schools. Uh, but they were very narrow-minded in their thinking as far as what was an acceptable school to go to. Uh, when I began to talk about Liberty University, um, I, I had a teacher that approached me that was very concerned about my soul, almost. It was like, I can't believe you're thinking about going to Liberty University, right? Um, but, but I had kind of been introduced to that school by Andrea and her family. Her brother had gone off up there. She was up there. Um, she had met Ben up there. And so, uh, my dad and I actually took a trip up there and stayed with Ben and Andrea. They were in their, their first apartment after getting married. Um, and we spent the night there, and I got to tour the school. And my mom was really pressing me to go to Clayton State. That was where a lot of people in, in, in our school were going to save money. She was like, hey, go to Clayton State, go to Gordon, save some money. You could always transfer up there after two years, right? Nothing wrong with those schools. My sister went to Gordon and went there two years and then transferred down to Valdosta State. I knew for me and my personality, if I don't go now, I'll never go, right? Like I knew for me, if I went to Clayton State, I would get stuck here, right? And I would never follow through on those desires that God was giving me. And so kept talking with my mom, kept praying about it. And, and we both kind of took a leap of faith knowing that the money wasn't there. You know, we didn't know how it was going to be provided for. Um, probably would have been a lot smarter of a decision to stay at home and, and save some money uh, on paper, uh, but what we ultimately saw in our family is that by taking that step, God provided financially. I only took out one loan, and it was paid off before I ever graduated from Liberty. Um, God opened up scholarships, and basically by the end of the 
time up there, I was on a free ride, free housing, free education, got my, my graduate school for free as well. Um, that was a big crossroad moment for me, though. Um, the choice to go to Liberty uh, obviously has shaped life since Liberty. I was introduced to, to friends that are lifelong friends now um, because of that choice. I was introduced to Snowbird, uh, which ultimately led me to my wife. Um, lots of things that have, have transpired from that decision. Once I got into college, uh, another big fork in the road for me was whether or not I should finish graduate school or uh, go work at Snowbird full-time. Um, I had worked there for the summer. I was in the midst of grad school. I was hating grad school. I mean, just hating it. It felt like such a repetitive thing for me because I had done my undergrad in ministry, and now post-grad school was in ministry. And a lot of the classes at Liberty were kind of a repeat because they were anticipating these guys coming in who had gotten a business degree or, or some other type of degree, and now were called into ministry. And so their seminary was focused on really what I had done in undergrad school. I just felt like I was wasting my time, and I felt like, man, it was far more adventurous and far more exciting to go work at Snowbird. And um, at the time, I was living with uh, John Wallace, who's my roommate at school, has been visiting our church since they moved back down to this area to get a job at Chick-fil-A. We were living across the street from a YMCA, and I had gotten a membership there. Actually, I was working there in the mornings so I could have a free membership. And I remember going over and, and just playing basketball by myself and just praying. It was kind of my my prayer closet during college is I would go over and shoot baskets and just pray about whatever was pressing in my life, and, and I would do business with God there. And I remember this peace overcoming me that I needed to stay in grad school, that it wasn't for naught, that there was a reason and a purpose for it. And I can see the fruit of that now. Um, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing at Trinity without that master's degree. That was one of the, the caveats that was needed for me to move into that position to have it. They didn't care what the master's was in necessarily. I just needed a master's degree to move into administration. And so when that door began to open at Trinity, it was like, thank you, Lord, that you kept me on that path to finish grad school because this opportunity is available to me because I kind of weathered that storm and, and stuck, to the, stuck to the plan, stuck to the course there, right? Um, when my dad left, I was, I'd finished grad school, was living up at um, Liberty. When my dad left and I moved back home, was living with my mom. My mom was starting to stabilize on her own. And so I began to explore, what am I, what am I doing next with my life? John Wallace, roommate uh, at the time, we, uh, we ended up taking a two-day tour all over Georgia, interviewing at Christian schools, right? We, we wanted to teach. We wanted to coach. And so we kind of laid out this map, and we set up all these interviews. And so it was like, boom, boom, boom. We went town to town, and it set up all these interviews over the course of two days. And so we were in and out of interviews. We ended up uh, over in Augusta, looped through South Carolina. We're coming back through. I mean, it was just interview after interview, right? And I remember we got to the hotel, and I told John, I said, how in the world are we supposed to decide where we're supposed to live, right? Like, we're going to get job offers from these schools, how in the world are we supposed to know which one's the right one? I mean, we're about to make a choice that's going to determine maybe the next 5, 10, 25 years of our life. I was like, how are we supposed to know? And I remember uh, crying myself to sleep that night, right? Like, I don't, I don't cry a whole lot, but I was so overwhelmed at the fork in the road that I was at in life, not knowing what am I supposed to do next. I ended up getting a job offer at Harvester Christian School, which is over um, in Douglasville, Georgia, Great school, really felt compelled to go there. I was working at Snowbird for the summer, but was planning to go work there. Um, and then out of the blue, Ryan calls me. Ryan Tipton calls me and says, hey, I'm leaving Mount Gilead. I want you to come be the youth pastor. I want you to take over for me. And man, I was just like, what do I do? 
right, and begin to really pray through what's, what's the choice that I'm going to make here, realizing that, that that fork in the road was going to determine the next decade of my life, potentially. I just started to, to date Lauren. That was another big crossroad moment in my life, right, making the choice and decision to marry her. I called Jen two weeks after working at camp, two weeks after really knowing her and saying, hey, what do you think if I were to marry uh, Lauren Wynn? She had worked with her the summer before. Uh, I was like, I really feel like this is what God's leading me to do. And uh, forks became very clear to me in that moment in life where I began to make choices and decisions. Um, and then even like leaving Mount Gilead um, almost 10 years ago now, um, God really began to, to move and impress upon me a desire to plant a church. Um, and, and Tyson and Adam McLeod and I were having conversations about that. We started having conversations with some of you that were there from day one. But there was this, this thought process in my mind, I need somebody outside of my little circle right here to affirm that this is a good idea. Right? And I remember reaching out to Ben, who at the time, we weren't really close friends. I mean, we were better AOL messenger friends than in-person friends. I mean, I knew him as Super Super Ben. Uh, he knew me as Dog Wolf, right? Like for years in my phone, he was Super Super Ben because that was his, his screen name. Most of our conversations and relationship was over Instant Messenger, right? And I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about working with a team to plant a church. Would you guys want to be a part of that? Or is that like the craziest thing you'd ever heard? Right? At the time, he had just come back from a church planning conference, and he said, you're not going to believe this. God's impressing that on my heart, too. And so there was just some confirmation there. But again, another big fork in the road as to what, what am I going to do next? Right? I see this type of mentality here uh, in what Jesus is saying, that we've, we've come to a fork in the road, a, a path that needs to be chosen. Right? And what choice are you going to make? The wide gate, the easy route, or the narrow road, the difficult route that leads to life. There's other passages in the Bible that seem to portray this same idea. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, the law is being given to the people and they're being commanded to do something with it blessings and curses that can come from the choices and decisions they make. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Joshua has a similar conversation with the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. After they've had to wander because of their rebellion, they're, 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 they're ready to, um, to really solidify themselves in the land. It says in Joshua 24 verse 15, after the conquering has taken place, what are they going to do now? How are they going to respond to the fork in the road that they find themselves in? It says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Psalm chapter one, verses one and two challenges us with who we will seek counsel from. 
right? Will we seek counsel from the godly or the ungodly? And it will determine what type of tree we become, what type of foundation, what type of root system we have, right? Jesus brings us to a similar point in his Sermon on the Mount here in verses 13 and 14. Will we choose the wide road? Will we choose the narrow road? Will we choose the easy way? Or will we choose the hard way, realizing that the hard way leads to life? Number one in our notes is to embrace the exclusivity of following Jesus. To embrace the exclusivity of following Jesus. We live in a day and age where it's far more popular to be inclusive than exclusive, right? We're, we're living in a day and age where it's far more appropriate and acceptable to view religion from an inclusive standpoint, to not be so dogmatic about the ways that we believe about God, to be far more inclusive and more open-minded, right, about the ways that others may view God or ways that others want to choose to worship God. But what we find in Jesus's teaching is that there's some exclusivity to what it means to follow him. It's a narrow gate. It's a hard path. Many don't find it. Few, in fact, are told to find it because it's hard. There's an exclusivity here, which I think is, as we see from here, one, that we need to remain mindful that Jesus is the only source of salvation for you and for others. He's the only source of salvation for you and for others. We're either on the path to life or the path to destruction. There is no in-between. Jesus is telling those that are listening to this sermon to make the right choice to avoid the wrong one. The key to understanding which path you're on, though, is really understanding the entry point you have chosen. Right? He draws attention to the narrow gate and then the path that flows from that. Those of you that have read Pilgrim's Progress or maybe seen some of the uh, theatrical adaptions of that story, you'll know that Christian encounters different people on the path to the celestial city. Right? Like There's different people that join his journey and as he discusses with them, he finds out that many of them have entered the path a different way, right? They didn't come through the wicked gate. They didn't come through that narrow gate where he entered, right? They've come through a different way. We encounter people like that in our life, those who look very much like they're walking the Christian life. They're doing the Christian things. But the more exploration that takes place, the more we find they didn't enter through the same gate at us, as us, right? They didn't enter through the narrow gate. They, they saw some things that looked good and right, and so they joined up on that but they entered through it a different way, right? Maybe they came through a, a, a gate of law where they felt like if I keep certain rules, then I'll make it to the celestial city. I'll make it to heaven. I'll make it into God's grace. The, the real key to understanding which path you're on, am I on the path to destruction or the path to life, is to really look at the gate in which you have entered. That wide gate has many entry points. Many find it large, attractive. It's well-traveled. Um, it's where most people are headed, Right, I remember growing up and whenever we would go to like an amusement park, um, we were always in the line where everybody was. And then you see this other line over here where the people who had more money than you would pay for like these fast passes, right? And so you'd, you'd be standing in line and this is big, massive line and everybody's going through it. And it's got the big sign that says, this is the entry point to the ride. And you're like, I'm in the right line, right? And then you see these other people that are like, hey, I just, saw, I just see them coming out of the exit line. Like, how did they already ride the ride? You start asking around, they're like, oh, they're in the fast pass line, right? Like they're in the line that the people with the money get to go through, right? The costly line. It's kind of hidden over to the side. 
right? They don't draw too much attention to it. And so you're going through this big, wide line, right? And there's another group that gets to go through the costly line where they get to experience the ride far quicker, right? The picture that we see here is this wide gate where many are going through it. When we think about the wide gate in terms of our culture today, it means being open-minded in its ideologies. There's no set truth, right? There aren't specific ways we are called to think and believe. There's very much an openness to how we think and believe about God. There's unrestrictiveness in its morality. There's few rules for behavior. There aren't any specific ways we are supposed to live. It's spiritually inclusive. All religions are equal. There isn't one right way for knowing and experiencing God. That's the way of the wide gate. That's the way of the path to destruction. Instead, Jesus says to enter through the narrow gate. It's a decisive and immediate action that he calls us to. When we think about this narrow gate, it's more of a who versus a what, right? Jesus is this narrow gate. He is the door. He is the gate. We see this in John chapter 10, verse 9, and John chapter 14, verse 6. These are passages where Jesus talks about being that gate, being that door to this exclusive path that leads to God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His exclusive claims create the need for us to share him with others, right? Um, you know, having Stephen and Jennifer here today, right? If, if what the world would say to us is accurate, that all religions are the same or all religions lead to God, then we've asked them to do something that's completely unnecessary, right? We've asked them to leave home, leave family, leave friends, leave potential memories here to create far different memories overseas, right? And they believe, they believe in that because they believe in the exclusive claim here by Jesus that a narrow gate is required for entry, right? If the wide gate was acceptable, they can stay here, Right? They don't have to come home and visit for Christmas. They can be here year-round with their family and friends. But there's an exclusivity to what Jesus says here, that a narrow gate is required, and it's his name by which we are saved, and there's many around the world that don't know that name and need to have it communicated to them. Right? And the enemy would do all that he can to, to send missionaries off the field and back home. I know um, with um, the McMurray family, the, one of the other families that we support missionary-wise, I mean, they leave, they leave Trinity, they leave this area, they leave jobs, they move overseas, and as soon as they get there, a pandemic breaks out, right, to where they can't really do what they went over there to do, and there's a lot of encouragement to come home, right? Even, even their ministry is saying, hey, we can get you home, we can send you back home, right? And I, and I remember, um, remember Kevin reaching out in one of his updates and saying, we're staying, Right? God knew the pandemic was going to be here before we ever got here. He knew it when he called us here. We believe that the message is still true, right? that the, the gate is still narrow for one to enter into this path to life. And so they continue to labor over there, even with the restrictions that are in place, because there's a belief in the exclusivity of what Jesus says here. And we have to fight a universalistic mindset. A universalist, uh, let me say that slower universalistic mindset when it comes to our beliefs about salvation, because here's the thing, we are naturally bent to believe that everybody's okay. Like we don't want to believe that the gate is narrow. We're okay with believing that it was narrow for us, that we had to come this way, that we had to come through Jesus. But when we're pressed on it, we don't want to believe that it's that narrow for other people, 
because we know the implications of that. If the gate really is narrow, like Jesus says, then the path that most people are on leads to destruction, not to life, right? And so we have to remain mindful that Jesus is the only source of salvation for you and for others. And then number two, don't make the road more wide or more narrow than what Jesus communicates. I don't know about you, but I'm prone to do both. I'm prone to do both when it comes to the narrow road. I like to make it wider for those that I like, for those that I love, for those that I'm emotionally invested in. I like to make it more narrow for those who I judge myself against, all right? I like to make it wider for those who I'm emotionally invested in. Um, you know, you have a family member or a coworker or a friend that you know you need to have spiritual conversation with, but you're just afraid that it's going to sever the relationship potentially. And so you look for anything and everything to give you some glimpse of hope that they're already a Christian and they don't need the conversation, right? So maybe for years you've been kind of beating around the bush and then all of a sudden your coworker drops the, the fact that they grew up Catholic and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. Like, got to be a Christian, right? And, and you're looking for anything and everything to kind of hang your hat on, right? Sometimes people do this in like in a dating relationship where it's looking for anything and everything to allow you to stay in that relationship. Surely this person's a Christian. They seem like a good person, right? What I want to I challenge you with is that's not a conversation you want to have at a funeral, right? Nobody wants to get to the day of a funeral where you're sitting around still speculating, man, did this person know Jesus or not, right? And, and it's at funerals a lot of times where the, where the road gets real wide, right? We don't want to admit that somebody might have been on a path to destruction. And so we have conversations and we, and we become very open-minded in those conversations to believe that maybe that, that road was a little bit wider than it was narrow and, and maybe that person did get in through the gate. Maybe they were on that path to life, Right? emotionally, we're prone to make that, that road wide, to, to fit in the people that we love. But then I'm also prone to make it real narrow when it comes to people that I judge myself against, right? Those people that I compare myself to spiritually, and I fall prey to what Matthew 7, 1 talks about, about not being judgmental, right? And I look at others, and I'm like, not a chance that person's a Christian, right? Like, if you compare them to me and the things that I'm doing, right, and the mistakes that they're making— not a chance that person's getting in. They're definitely on the, the road to destruction, right? And I make it real narrow, right? Very unforgiving, very unmerciful because I'm, I'm using that person to, to validate my own spiritual condition, right? So we, we widen it for people that we love. We narrow it for people that we're judgmental towards, right? And we have to be careful about, about falling prey to either of those habits, right? Jesus says it's narrow, and we need to use that to motivate us in our conversations with those that we are emotionally invested in to make sure that they are aware of the narrow gate, to make sure they are aware of that path that leads to life and not the one that leads to destruction. We embrace this exclusivity of following Jesus. Number two, we also need to embrace the difficulty of following Jesus. Embrace the difficulty of following Jesus. Jesus tells us here in this passage that the road is narrow, few find it, the wider gate is far more attractive. It's easy. He tells us that the, the gate is narrow and the way that the, the gate leads us to is hard. It's hard. It leads to life, but it's a hard way to get there. Those who find it are few. We embrace this difficulty because Jesus calls it difficult. We don't need to shy away from it, right? Number one, the decisions I make in life should be different 
than what most people do. The decisions that I make in life should be different than what most people do. This is a passage that would certainly help us to see that uh, what the majority is doing is probably not what we should be doing. Right? It's, it's easy to think that we're in the right if we're doing what the majority is doing. This is a passage that would cause us to pause and think if the choices and decisions that we're making align with what the majority would do. All right, basing your life's decisions on God's word is unpopular in comparison to the norm. But we have to avoid giving in to the pressure of doing what the majority chooses. Look what Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says. It's funny, the, the people on the right path that come through the narrow gate that are heading towards life, we struggle so much with trying to pull people onto that path with us. Right? We justify it any way and every way to not bring it up with those that we love. <laughs> Whereas those who come through the wide gate and are on the road to destruction seem to love the company right? and are very enticing to get people on their path. I mean, you see it in the Pilgrim's Progress story where constantly these worldly individuals are trying to draw Christian towards their way of thinking. I think it validates that way of thinking the more you can get on that path, right? And so Proverbs chapter one, verse eight says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, right? Remember the things that you've been taught. These guys who later in life talk about deconstructing their faith and walking away from things they grew up on, right? They try to, they try to minimize the, the concept of faith because it was something mommy and daddy taught me. Whereas the Bible seems to call us to never forget what mom and dad taught us, right? Don't forget your father's instruction. Don't forget your mother's teaching. They are graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. All right, so you have these individuals who call this one boy to come and to, to seek financial gain in inappropriate ways, right? To these promises that are made. That the, that the earthly goods will be given. And, and the proverb warns here and says, don't, don't buy into that. Don't listen to that. They're, they're on the path to destruction, right? Their path leads to destruction. That wide gate loves more company. The decisions I make should be different than what most people would do. But to caution you here, it's not a license to do things completely independently, right? It's not that Jesus would tell us to, to not do anything that anybody else is doing because we know far more in the New Testament that that Jesus calls us to align ourselves with good, sound wisdom, right? To, to surround ourselves, to gather with other Christians so that we can be stirred up to good works, right? And so I kind of put in my notes here, while I'm not supposed to follow the majority, I'm not supposed to follow the majority, I do need to make decisions with the majority of the minority, right? The majority of the minority, right? So I need to align myself with the minority, then I need to figure out what the majority of the minority is doing, right? Those that are on the narrow path, those who are seeking life, my life needs to be aligned with those people. 
with the majority of those people. Because even in that minority group, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to live towards the flesh at times, right? So I'm looking for the majority of the minority to align my life with. The decisions I make in life should be different than what most people would do because most people are on this wide gate. Most people are on the life to destruction. We want to enter through that narrow gate. And number two, the decisions I make in life should be challenging while also enduring. The decisions I make in life should be challenging while also enduring. Basing your life's decisions on God's word is not always easy due to lingering sin and flesh and the persecution that comes with it. Right? There's, there's difficulty that it comes with following Christ on this narrow path. There's hard decisions that flow from making that choice to follow Jesus. Right? While Stephen and Jennifer would tell you the joys that have come from serving overseas, that's not an easy decision to make. That's not a popular decision to make. It's a hard decision to leave home. Right? It's a rewarding decision when you realize that it leads to life, not just for you, but for those that will hear the message. But following Jesus is not always easy. Even for those of us that stay home, right? even for those of us that, that fund those that go, staying here is a hard decision when it comes to living out our faith, right? following through the things that we're called to do. Because the appeal of that wide road is great. Look what Psalm chapter 73 says. Psalm chapter 73, this passage talks about the appeal of that wide road, the appeal of what the majority is doing. And from a limited perspective, man, it seems like the right way to go. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Right? The, the author here is saying, I believe God's good, but, but I, almost, I almost slipped from that idea. It says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of your children. What's the psalmist saying? He's echoing some of the things that we saw from the minor prophets, right? Like, God, when are you going to judge? When is your justice going to be served? Because all I see is the prosperity of the wicked, the wide path, the wide gate seems like the right choice. Seems like the one I want to be in. Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It's like the psalmist had his own YMCA moment where he went and played some basketball and said, God, I got to talk to you about something. And things became far more clear for him, right? He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. 
whom have I have in, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I mean, it's like the psalmist understands what we're reading about in Matthew 7, right? This path, this wide path looks great, but the more I think about it, the more I realize while it's hard, the narrow gate, the narrow path leads to life. That other one leads to destruction, right? When he, when he expanded his perspective, he began to see how detrimental that path really is. Look what these last verses say. Verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I like what the Holman Christian Standard interpretation says. It takes that, uh, but for me, it is good to be near God. The way it translates it is God's presence is my good. I love that. God's presence, that's my good, right? The good that we're praying for in Matthew 7, right? Ask and it'll be given to you, right? I need God's presence in my life. I want to know at the end of the day that while the wicked around me may be prospering on the wide gate, right? They may have more earthly stuff than me, right? To know that I'm on the narrow path, that I've entered through the narrow gate and God's presence is with me. I want to be at the point where that is satisfying enough. Psalmist says, your presence is my good. To know that you're with me, to know that you are affirming me, to know that I am in relationship with you is my good. Living out the Sermon on the Mount isn't easy. Think about the things that we've learned. Jesus calls us to endure persecution for doing the right thing, to be salt and light in an environment so that God gets the glory and not yourself, right? Jesus calls you to do all this stuff so that he can be glorified and so you don't get the credit for it. That's hard. It's hard to live that way, right? It's hard to live in such a way where you release your anger versus hanging on to it, right? Jesus says, don't be guilty of murder. Don't be guilty of being angry. To remain pure and committed in your marriage, right? To not divorce, to keep your word, to be a person of your word, to love others, particularly enemies versus avenging your enemies, to give away your hard-earned money to, to others and keep it a secret, right? We saw this in, in Matthew chapter six, right? I'm supposed to give my money away to those in need and then not tell anybody that I'm the one that did it so that I don't get any glory for it, right? The need is met. I've done what God's called me to. He gets glorified for it. I don't get any credit for it. It's hard to do that. It's hard to let go of my money. Then it's really hard to not even get credit for making that choice and decision. To do other spiritual things, praying and fasting without promoting yourself, to focus on eternal joys versus earthly comforts when it comes to your spending, fighting sin in your life with the intentions of helping rather than judging others. We saw this in Matthew 7, right? I'm supposed to deal with my own sin so that I can then help somebody with theirs, not to judge them for it. To treat others the way that you want to be treated, even if they never treat you that way. Right? These, are, these are hard ways to live. What we're being called to is hard. It's the narrow path. But it becomes doable and joyful when we trust that God is the source of all the good that we need. When his presence is our good, we can live this way. I love what Deuteronomy 30 says, back where we were reading about life and death and cursings and blessings. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, For this commandment that I command you today it's not too hard for you. God says it's not too hard. Is it hard? Yeah. It's hard to live this way. But he says in Deuteronomy 30, it's not too hard for you. 
neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do this. And the passage that we read at our Christmas Eve service, which wasn't really Christmas Eve this year, a couple days before Christmas Eve, it becomes doable when we're doing it together, right? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, God says it's not too hard to do this, not too hard to live this way. It is hard, but it's not too hard especially when you're doing it together, especially when you're faithful to gather together with other believers so that you can be stirred up to good works. We can make these hard decisions and we can endure in those hard decisions when we do it together. Embrace the exclusivity of following Jesus. Embrace the difficulty of following Jesus. From an application standpoint, three things that I want you to be thinking through to really fight against that universalistic mindset. Number one, who in your life are you unsure about salvation-wise that you can have a conversation with now versus about later regarding their path? Right? Think about who you don't want to be talking about at their funeral trying to discern which path were they on. Have that conversation now. Right? Show that you believe in the exclusivity of what Jesus says here and have the conversation now with that person. Make sure they are on that narrow path, that they have entered through that narrow gate. Don't have a conversation later about them. Right? Don't try to widen that gate for them to make yourself feel better. Have that conversation now. Make that choice and decision today while they still live. Number two, what are the major factors guiding your decision making? Who do you want your life's decisions to be most like? In your life, I told you that he's not calling you to a complete independent style of living, right? We're not supposed to live like the majority. But there is a mindset here where we should live like the majority of the minority, right? That, that we can seek good godly counsel and wisdom in the choices and decisions that we make to make sure that we are choosing for eternal joys and not simply earthly comforts. And then number three, begin thinking about resolutions you can make this year that flow from what you have learned from the Sermon on the Mount. I gave you a list of things here at the end, things that are hard to do that the Sermon on the Mount calls us to. We'll spend some time next week because I like to I like to emphasize resolutions at the new year because I believe that God gives us that calendar change as a as an opportunity to to kind of restart and refresh and reset in some of the things that we're 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 striving to live out in our life. And so we'll talk about that more next week. But I want to encourage you to be thinking this week in regards to what we have learned over the past couple of months in the Sermon on the Mount. What are some resolutions some resolves for good that you would like to make this year that would flow from what we are learning in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our time in the Word today, Lord. We thank you that Jesus was very clear in his communication. He wasn't ambiguous in his sermon. God, thank you that Jesus came to be very clear that it's only through him that we can be saved. And that by coming to him, we come submitting ourselves to him in the ways that he calls us to. Realizing that they're going to be hard at times. Persecution and tribulation may come our way. And even if those things don't come immediately, just simply saying no to the flesh on a daily basis. Saying no to sin and temptation on a daily basis is hard. 
But God, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit as you've promised to do, to live out faithfully the things that you've given us to do. God, we don't wanna just simply enter the narrow gate. We wanna be on the narrow path. We wanna follow you faithfully. And we wanna draw others to you. So God, give us wisdom and give us the desires and the discipline to live out the things that we're learning here in the Sermon on the Mount. God, help us to be satisfied with your good, your presence being our good, that it being all that we need. God, I pray that we would faithfully take the message to those that are around us that, that may, may not be on the narrow, uh, narrow path, that haven't entered through the narrow gate. God, help us to, to be very intentional to reach out to those with the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Thank you for calling us to this path. God, I pray that together, as we gather faithfully, we'd stir each other up, we would encourage each other to remain on that path. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.